Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the word of your God. Obviously, this is an unprecedented set of events, but I think most people will understand. That's the statement that Les Dorr, the spokesperson for the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, gave shortly after the 9-11 terror attacks and the ca catastrophe that, that set in in our nation when he told everybody that there would be an unprecedented grounding of all of the flights in North America. He was right. People did understand, but perhaps what nobody could understand is how that day and how that decision would really impact the way people traveled forever. I mean, think about it. If, if it if it was a grounding of all the flights just for a short time, or, or maybe because it was a drill and, and, and not a real terror attack, perhaps things would have just gone back to the way that they were like that. But they didn't. 
people did start to travel again eventually. The, the grounding of all the planes let up on September 13th. But things were never the same. Maybe you remember, there used to be a time where you could keep your shoes on, wear your jacket. You wouldn't even need a boarding pass or a ticket. You could just walk up to the gate. Anybody could do it. Maybe you had to walk through a little metal detector. And you could even, get this, you could even bring a four-inch blade with you on an airplane. Those days, however, are long gone. Now there is 3D full body scanning that takes place. You have to check your laptop, large portable devices, and don't forget your fluids. They have to be in a less than, is it three and a half ounce container? They have to be in a plastic bag. Your shoes have to come off. Your belt has to come off. And then you have to walk through this thing that scans your entire body while all of your possessions get scanned as well. And if you're someone who sweats as much as I do, that, that fluid well builds up and then you have to go over and then normally have to do a separate check on you anyways. It happens. You might complain that you don't like that whole process, that you wish you could just walk up to the gate, that you wish that you didn't have to buy, you know, little three ounce deodorants and shaving cream, but that wouldn't do you anything. We're not going back to the way that it used to be. This is just the way that people travel now. And a lot of the post-pandemic life, well, you might compare to air travel post 9-11. In March of 2020, there was the unprecedented grounding of really all of our social gatherings. If you think about it, nothing like that had ever happened before. And maybe if it had happened only for a short time, like, like I believed right away that, you know, in just a couple weeks, we're all going to get back together. We're going to celebrate Easter gathered together again. If that had happened, and if it hadn't happened because of a global pandemic, you know, maybe things might be different. We could talk about, you know, things returning to life happening the way it did in 2019 or 2020. But here we are, 18 months removed from that, And the way that people gather together has changed. It has changed the way people go to work, the way people go to school, the way people go to their doctor, the way they go to their fitness places, the way they consume entertainment, and the way they go to church. And so it's time that we talk about it. The way people gather together And we talk about it as a church. And when we do, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to talk about and commiserate about the way things were before the pandemic. We're not going to complain and we're even not going to celebrate the way things are right now. We're not going to offer up our conjecture about how we think things will be in the future. But what we're going to do in this sermon series called To Gather Together is we're going to look at what God's word has to say about what it means to gather together. What we're going to do over the course of the next three weeks is we are going to look at, well, three really key ways that we do just that, that we gather together. We're going to look at how we gather together here in worship, how we gather together in fellowship, 
and with other groups of believers in groups. And we're also going to talk about how and why we gather together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's just it. We're not just going to talk about the ways in which we do these things. We're going to talk about the whys behind these things. Because I think there's, there's not a Christian person who, who would look at those three things that Christians do, worship, group together with other Christians, study his word, fellowship, and celebrate communion, and go, yeah, those things aren't important to me. No, you know they're important. Maybe it's even the pandemic that caused you to realize just how essential those things are in your life. But if I were to ask you why, why are those things so important to you? What would you say? Maybe the answer there is, is less clear. You might say, well, Matt, it's what I've always done. And that'd be a good reason, a true reason. You might say, I'm not even really sure why, but I like it and it feels good. And that also is a very important reason. Yet meanwhile, that is true. There is a world of friends and neighbors and, and even Christians that haven't always gathered together. And they don't value the reasons why you gather together to the degree that maybe you do. So what this series is going to do is talk about why. It's going to talk about why as, as we look at God's word and God gives all of us the collective language to be able to understand for ourselves why it is we gather together, but also to be able to express with our words all the wonderful blessings that God does give us to, together when we gather, whether it's two or three, 20 or 30, two or 300 people gathering together in God's name. And so we begin our series by looking at why, why it is that God's people gather together in worship. And it's wonderful blessing that we're doing that today because just in a few minutes, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a conversation. Our whole group is gonna have a conversation about our plans to God willing, build a place where we can gather together for worship and then go out from there and carry out the mission and the ministry that God gives us. So we should know why we're doing that. Because over the last 12 months, and even before that, you, God's people, have given your treasures, given your money to support that vision, that value. And if we go through with this, we're going to spend a whole lot of money to build a place where we can gather together and worship. And if we do that, it it's rather clear that this is something that we highly value. But do you know why? I mean, let's slow down and, and ask the question, why don't we just gather together in a park or outside? Why don't we gather together in, in small groups, call them house churches? Why don't we just worship from our own homes and worship online? It would be a lot less expensive. Why worship? Why gather together in worship? 
what we're going to do this morning is look at Psalm 27 that we just read. And as we do, I want you to think of it in terms of, of three separate meditations on this psalm. A meditation that's going to focus on three themes. The first, the idea of patience. The second, preference. And third, promise. We're going to ask the question, why do we gather together in worship as we think about that? Patience, preference, and promise. This is King David in Psalm 27, where he began this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Many believe that King David wrote this psalm as he was going through a very deeply hurtful personal tragedy. His son Absalom, his, his third son, killed one of his older brothers, tried to kill David, kicked him off the throne, kicked him out of Jerusalem, brought about this coup, he even recruited his own personal friends and military leaders to take over the kingdom of Israel. Can you imagine that? The stress on a parent on a man, on a king? Can you imagine the sleepless nights that David would have endured as he went about and went through that traumatic experience? He felt all of that, and yet what is his one request? What's, what's the one thing that he wanted most during that? Well, he couldn't go to church. During that time, David fled. He, he couldn't go to his church. He couldn't gather together in the temple there in Jerusalem. And so th this is what he prayed. He said, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. Why do I bring this up? We may not have a son and a father dividing up our country, do we? But have we not become keenly aware of things that divide us? I mean, there's a list of things that we've experienced over the past 18 months. First, the global pandemic. Then physically division as we isolated safer at home. Followed that up with a summer of racial injustice and social unrest. Follow that up with a fall of a presidential election cycle. Then a new year that brought about, well, division about safety measures with coronavirus. Then a summer of divisions about the vaccine. There's one thing that we've seen over the past 18 months is that even though God's people might agree about our faith, about that one thing that keeps us united, there's some things that, well, we might not see eye to eye about. 
And we haven't even gotten into the things that divide us personally, personally that we don't even know about. The way all of that division affects an individual. It affects single people and married people. This past year, it, it has taken a toll on people as they've experienced loss of health or, or maybe lots of mental health issues. It's had an effect on people as they lost their jobs or maybe now have lots to do at their job that they never thought they'd have before. I mean, this has affected everybody. People who work now completely remotely and people who are long retired. This affects people who have to go to school to teach and go to school to learn. No one is immune from the social side effects of all the division. And why do I bring this up? Well, imagine just this for a moment. Imagine if no pandemic, no division, nothing in the last 18 months took place, but, but King David and his family lived in our community. Imagine you went to go to the grocery store and there you saw King David and King David was going through everything in his personal life that was on the news because it obviously involved the country. And you said to David, David, why haven't we seen you in church? How do you think David would feel? How do you think people might feel, Christian people might feel, who deeply desire to gather together and worship, but because of whether pandemic-related division or personal things that they're experiencing, maybe just aren't ready to do that. What I'm asking you to do right now is hold two very true things in your mind simultaneously. On the one hand, know that this is true. God's people desire to gather together and worship. Even God's people that you haven't seen in a minute, that, that aren't here this morning. People who know God's heart have it in their heart naturally by the power of the Holy Spirit, a desire to gather together with other people who love Jesus. That is true. And yet at the very same time, it is also true that people over the past year and several months have experienced hurt. They've experienced hurt in different ways, to different degrees than maybe you and I have. So it's worth asking, have we been patient? Have we been respectful? Have we been compassionate? Have we been loving to those who desire just as much as you do to gather together in worship? Can I bring up an example that is just way too relevant on the day where we're going to have an open forum about our future, God willing, church? Someone very, very wise once said, whenever a church takes on a building project, there's two kinds of people. There's two kinds of people. On the one hand, there is faith people. And on the other hand, there is wisdom people. You're going to see this. This is going to happen today and going forward in the project. There's faith people, and they say things that sound a lot like this. 
they say, here we go. This is awesome. God has provided an open door for us to go and share the gospel. This is good. Everybody, come on. If you have questions, just take it to the Lord. Believe he's going to make this work out. You notice they say a lot of things marked with exclamation points. Then there's wisdom people. And they say things that sound a lot like this. They say, mm-hmm, yeah, that sounds like a good plan, but have you thought about X, Y, and Z? I understand, but what happens if X doesn't work out? And I hear you, but how are we going to pay for that? Uh-huh. And, and where are we going to get the money for that? You notice a lot of their statements are actually well marked with a question mark. And what happens is that faith people look at wisdom people and think, you know what? They lack faith in God, but it's not true. And wisdom people look at faith people and go, you know what? They lack the wisdom of the Lord, but it's just not true. The reality is that, that most people are somewhere in between and no one really is on either extreme. People move back and forth between the two. But what that illustration does is, is serve as a reminder that people process things differently. People process things that are especially traumatic or involve a lot of change must dif- much differently than each other. And that doesn't change a number of solid biblical truths that we're all sinners. No one is greater than or less than anyone else. We all are forgiven in Christ. And through Christ, we have all of the blessings that God gives to us. And this is why I love Psalm 27. Psalm 27 begins where David highlights all of the wonderful things that he has in the Lord. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my source of joy. Even when things are going really badly in life. The Lord, he is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I fear? And then David goes and he ends his psalm in this way. He says, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Therefore, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Christian friends, know this. The goal is not to see how many people can gather together again in worship. That is not the goal of our Christian life, and that is not the goal of this series, to simply gather together in worship. The goal is much greater. The goal, the purpose, why we gather together is so that everyone will have this, so that everyone will remain confident of where they stand in the Lord. And so you want to know what David's advice, what scripture's advice is to all the faith people when it it comes to the problem of post-pandemic life? Here's his advice. Be patient. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. And when you look out, those of you who are gathered together in person in worship, and you long to gather together with more people, even those who aren't here yet, 
Be patient. Be compassionate. Wait for the Lord. Be confident in him. And you want to know what his advice is to all of you who who want to gather together here and worship this morning, but for reasons aren't ready yet? It's the same. Wait for the Lord. Give grace, give compassion to those who, who are doing it differently than you. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. If you're following along with the fill in the blanks, here's the first one. And I cheated. I added a little bit of extra lines because it's an important one. Why do we gather together in worship? This is it. God's people patiently gather together. That's really how. God's people patiently encourage one another to gather together in worship. And here's why. It's because in worship, God's people are instilled with confidence. They are filled themselves with confidence. And what you get to do going out from here is you get to instill that confidence in others by pointing them to Christ Jesus, who is the source of all of our oneness, all of our unity, all of our strength, and all of the confidence that we have in him. That's the first one, our meditation on the idea of patience. And that moves us into what David said next and our thoughts on preference. This is what King David said. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will keep me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. As you read through Psalm 27, one thing is unmistakable, and that is that David has a deep, a close, an intimate relationship with his God and Savior. That's his hope. That's his confidence. That's his stronghold. That is who shelters him, even as he goes through this personally traumatic experience. But keep reading the Psalms. Keep reading the Psalms, and and what you'll see is that the full range of human emotion is on display, the full range of the human heart. There's not only a need to be connected to God, but get to the last Psalms, and and really many other Psalms as well, and you'll see that David not only expresses a deep need to be connected to his Savior, but also he needs to be connected to his fellow God-fearing people. There's a special group of Psalms in in the latter half of the book of Psalms, Psalm 120 to 135. They're called Psalms of Ascent. They're songs and hymns and praise songs that God's people would gather together to sing as they went up to the house of the Lord, as they went up to worship. They're songs that have been sung by Christian people throughout the centuries. Perhaps the most famous of those is Psalm 122, which begins this way, I rejoice with those to say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. If there's one thing that this last year has showed us is that there are some things that are just better in person. Don't believe me? Ask grandparents who are relieved that they can finally give their grandchildren hugs. Don't believe me? Go ask, go ask students who would rather not learn online. 
don't believe me still, go look at scripture, that, that there are some things that God just created us to do in person. And that is worship. That is be in communion and community together when we praise our God. In Genesis chapter one, we hear about God walking along with his creation. The only thing that was wrong with his creation at that point was that someone was alone. And so he made someone to have companionship with them. Keep turning through the pages of Genesis and what you see is a God who built community, who built the nation of Israel. And then when he led Israel out of there, he desired to be with them in that community. He descended on them with his presence in there as a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. And still there, continue on throughout the Old Testament. When God's people set up a tabernacle and laid their temple, what did God do? He personally filled that with his presence so he could be there in worship together with his people. Turn to the New Testament. And what do you see in John chapter one? That Christ came and made his dwelling among us so he could be with us together. The word made flesh. Think about all the commandments of the New Testament. We're going to do it next week. We're going to look at almost 60 of them that give you commands to one another, one another, to pray for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, serve one another. There's some things that are just better in person. So now we have to talk about it. We have to talk about this thing that is super convenient super casual, totally asynchronous online worship. What about it? How are we to think about it as, as God's preference is for God's people to gather together in worship? Well, it might be helpful if we think about it a lot like McDonald's. I like McDonald's, but I only go there about two to four times a year. I go there when my family is on a road trip together and we need something casual. We need something convenient. We don't want to go out of our way too far. And so we're glad that there's one almost at every single exit. McDonald's is convenient. And just as there's nothing wrong inherently with McDonald's, there's nothing wrong inherently with convenience. But imagine if I were to go to McDonald's, not two to four times a year, but two to four times a month or a week or a day. Do you know what has been scientifically proven to increase the more you go to fast food places? Well, it's the risk for all of the following things. Obesity, depression, cognitive function, decline, skin issues, inflammation, bloating, and constipation, digestive issues, heart disease, stroke, teeth decay, type 2 diabetes, cancer, and early death. And all of that for convenience. I didn't mean to talk to you about your nutrition habits, but if that is a life, a nutritional life, a physical life, based on the idea of convenience, at some point, we have to ask ourselves, what about a spiritual life that's centered around the idea of convenience? I'm not saying it is sinful 
to worship online. In fact, this church continues and will always continue to stream our services online, put it on podcasts. But why? Why do we do this? Well, it's so that people can, when they need to, conveniently connect to Christ. When soldiers are stationed overseas, when people are forced to work on the weekend, when families who are a part of our faith family go on vacation and yet they still want to worship with the Lord, when people suffer illness or sickness, or when people go through a season in life where there is a pandemic that is quite arguably still going on, it is not a sin to worship online. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am asking is this. Will you assess the risk? Will you assess the risk of a life that is entirely dedicated, a spiritual life that is entirely designed around the idea of convenience? It is not sinful to worship online, but what I am telling you to do is compare not just one Sunday or two Sundays or even a season of life where this is what you do on Sunday, but but compare what a family looks like that worships all of the time online and gets their spiritual nutrition that way to a family that consumes the bread of life, the water of life, the body and blood of Christ together gets the goods in the way that God meant for them to be dished out together in community where together we speak words of scripture. Together we speak words of praise from the Psalms and other hymns. Together we speak words of confession and get to hear the words that sound like this. I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ask, what is better to get to come together and receive encouragement, receive prayers, receive exhortation, receive building up, received correction from your brothers and sisters in Christ? God's people are designed a certain way. And it's God's preference, the next fill in the blank, for us to gather together in worship. And you might say to me, Matt, my faith has never been stronger and I've been worshiping in line, listening to podcasts all on my own at home. To those of you who would say that, I would offer as a challenge a question. How many couples do you know who have dated online and that's the way their marriage remains? They've never met in person together, but they say, hey, we've been married six years and we just know each other from connecting online. I don't know any. And that's because online dating, just like online church, is meant to lead to something else. Real, in-person relationships. Relationships with one another and relationships with God who, who designed us this way. And that's why we say that your presence in worship, it's not a matter of preference. It's a matter of God's preference. This isn't Matt's preference. This isn't a Lutheran preference. This isn't a the way church preference. This is God's preference. And it's because he has a preference to give you a whole lot of promises. That leads us to our last one where I'm going to give it to you right away. This is it. That worship is where God's people gather together to speak and to hear God's promises. That is what 
David has been doing throughout Psalm 27. And that is what all of those people who have heard this prayer, who have read this prayer, who have shared this prayer throughout the centuries and throughout eternity have done. They have spoken and they have heard promises that God himself has made. Let's walk through them all together. Psalm 27 begins at verse seven with this. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. God gives us this really special, unbelievable gift called prayer where we together get to storm the throne room of God's grace and receive from his gracious hand all of the things that he gives us. That is why we worship. It is to gather together to pray in worship. Verse eight goes on. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. I've said it before, and I love saying it again, that there is one question that Christians never need to ask themselves. Where is God? God has told you unmistakably, with clarity, exactly where he is found. He is found wherever two or three gather together in my name, where two or three gather together around my words, around my sacraments. There I am with them in worship. That is why God's people gather together. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Even as David confidently proclaims exactly where he stands in the Lord, he also confesses his sin. He says, Lord, I know you have every right to be angry with me. I know that I have fallen short of your holy will, but don't do it. Don't turn away from me. Let me ask you, where does it happen where a large group of people get together and together speak their unworthiness, together openly and honestly admit that they're not the men and the women that they should be. This is why God's people gather. God's people gather together in worship to confess their sins together, but to hear the wonderful mercies of God that in Christ Jesus, who has been revealed in scripture, who reveals his face in the sacraments, he pours out his grace into your lives and forgives all of your sins. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Tell me, where on earth do you find a place where no one is rejected, but everyone is accepted unconditionally? In a church, in worship. Verse 11 and 12, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Where in the world do we go to receive instruction from the Lord? Instruction that isn't just good trivia to know, but sends us back into life where, where we face our own Absaloms, where we face our problems, whether it's a pandemic or personal. And yet we know that because we have walked in the Lord's path, we will not be turned over to anything, but the Lord will be with us. And here confidently we can stand in the Lord. That's why God's people gather together in worship. It is to be reminded of those promises, to speak those promises out loud to one another and hear them again. And that's why I need to tell you a little bit about Will and Whitney. They told me I could tell you this story. Um, 
but I think it's fitting on the day where you got to see them and them baptize their baby AJ that you know a little bit more about them, something that, that happened long before AJ was here, something long before Whitney became one of the biggest cheerleaders that this church has, long before Will served on our church's council. Will and Whitney were the first family to join our church after we opened up publicly to the community. That's really amazing. And so I never thought I'd hear them say what they said to me just a couple of weeks ago when I went to visit them. I went to visit them after AJ was born and we had a devotion, we said a prayer together, and then they told something to me that I was shocked to hear. If you know Will and Whitney, they're not shy. And yet they told me that after worship opened up about a year ago, that they had to stay at home for worship because of some job-related things. And then they stayed at home and worshiped online just a little bit longer because of some pregnancy-related things. All good reasons to worship conveniently online. Then they told me that they were nervous. They were nervous to come back to worship in person. They didn't think anyone would yell at them or, or shame them. But they were wondering if people might think differently about them. Judge them in a way that they might never know, but, you know, you can just kind of feel. Maybe you felt that. Maybe that's happened to you. And so I was sitting on the edge of my seats asking Will and Whitney, well, what happened? Did it happen? They told me not at all. Not any of those things occurred. And by God's grace, it's because you, God's people, you know exactly why God's people gather together in worship. It is to be filled with God's confidence and instill that to others. It's because it's preference to God that we do gather together this way. And it's not a personal matter, but it's because in worship, God gives great and many promises through Jesus Christ. May God continue to fill you with that hope, with that confidence, with the joy of knowing the light and the love of the Lord as we continue to gather together in worship. Amen.